All right, so in five, four, three. Hello and welcome to the James Bond Complex, the show where we discuss and enjoy. I got to start over. <laughs> I always fuck up at the beginning. Hello and welcome to the James Bond Complex, the show where we discuss and enjoy the James Bond phenomenon from Fleming to film and everything in between. Ooh. Ooh, indeed. Uh, my, my name is Emery. And I'm your second co-host, Jason Kim. And today we're actually going to take a, a little bit of a detour. I know that we took a detour not too long ago for Halloween, but uh, Christmas is coming up. Jason, there's a special movie coming out for a limited theatrical run, and then it's on Netflix right before Christmas. What are we talking about today? Uh, so the movie that's going to come out during the holidays is called Knives Out Glass Onion. But to prepare for the sequel, we wanted to discuss the first one, the first movie that came out in 2019, which was just simply titled Knives Out. Right. And that was filmed before No Time to Die and before everyone was kind of casts. And it does include Anna Diarmas with Daniel Craig kind of before they started doing uh no Time to Die, which is really, really interesting to me. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I always so I, I'm, I still remember that time because like uh, I guess summer 2018 was when Danny Boyle officially got axed from Eon Productions of what will become No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. And then they had as Eon was scrambling to find directors, uh, eventually they hired Kerry Fukunaga merely two months later. But because Daniel was uncertain, he signed on to uh, Ryan Johnson's knives out film and then and then as and then barbara you know wanting daniel back of course she said oh yeah you could just you could finish out filming knives out and just come back and then they were also ironed ironing out the script because you know between because you know with the director change there was a lot of things that had to be you know ironed out so it gave daniel a lot of time to do what he wanted in the in the hiatus and i mean granted knives out doesn't take as long to film as a james bond movie it only took the entire movie, like seven, eight weeks, is what I read. In, yeah, in it, Mas- was, it was over three months, uh, I think, something like that. It was a quick movie, but I mean, I think they all, the location was mostly, I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know the location is almost mostly the same anyway. There's not that many times they go really off location. Yeah, because like, uh, I know it's like all around Massachusetts. And I remember, I, I saw this movie, this movie, uh, eventually released uh 29 you know thanksgiving 2019 just in time for the or american thanksgiving just in time for the holidays and i remember my dad saying like while we were watching it in the theaters my dad's like oh i bet this movie cost nothing to make (laughs) (laughs) well i think what was the the budget on it was uh 40 million and it ended up making about 300 and some odd million in total oh yeah and, and that's a that's a pretty that's a very good success and I wanted to bring that up because uh, in 2019, 2019 you know, pre-COVID was the year of just blockbuster after blockbuster, like you know, like End Games, Star Wars the last, uh, the, the whatever the ninth Star Wars movie was, and right, bunch of you know Lion King, and then I think audiences were just kind of like tired out of all these just constant sequels and blockbusters and movies like Knives Out and Joker, which were released about a month apart and. Those two were the uh, the complete unprecedented successes 
I mean, granted, Joker weren't considerably more, but like I mean, that's beside the point. But the fact that Knives Out exceeded what they were expected to make um, was the reason. Was what kind of like Grass Studios were like, hey, uh, we could actually you know continue these stories onwards. And initially, I was kind of when uh, well, we'll spoil this movie, of course, in this episode. But initially, I was kind of uh, what is it? wary of how they were going to do a sequel because Ana de Armas's character was such a pivotal role in this character and I yeah you know I, I thought her character arc was complete and I was like what are they going to do but then I guess you based on the trailers that I've seen I haven't by the way I have not seen Knives Out Glass Onion at the time of this recording uh neither have I <laughs> but uh it will the movie is Orion Johnson said he was going to develop the character around, uh, you know, Benoit, the character that Daniel Craig plays called, named Benoit Blanc. And he really took a lot of inspirations from like a lot of sleuth, sleuth mystery films in the past, as well as novels, like mm-hmm. a lot of the Hercule Perot by Agatha Christie and whatnot. Right. And I mean, that's, that's, um, it really is kind of like uh, a, an interesting way that they present a, a murder mystery because um like halfway through the movie we kind of have the entire story of the movie but not at the same time um let me just read the the, the kind of the plot to give us an idea of, oh, yes, uh, of, of where we're at so that we can uh then we can kind of break down um the movie scene by scene so the family of and i'm going to be a little bit cheap here and i'm going to read this almost directly from from wikipedia just for fun so credit to whoever wrote this on on wikipedia or these 10 people who wrote it on wikipedia uh the family of harlan thromby a wealthy mystery novelist attends his 85th birthday party at his massachusetts mansion the next morning harlan's housekeeper friend finds him dead with his throat slit lieutenant elliott and trooper Wagner believe Harlan's death to be suicide, but private detective Benoit Blanc is anonymously hired to investigate. Blanc learns Harlan's, excuse me, Blanc learns Harlan's relationship with his various family members were strained. On the day of his death, Harlan threatened to expose his son-in-law Richard for cheating on his daughter Linda, cut off his daughter-in-law's Joni's allowance for stealing from him fired his son Walt from his publishing company and had an altercation with his grandson Ransom. Unknown to Blanc, Harlan's nurse, Marta Cabrera, accidentally mixed up his medications, making her think she overdosed him with morphine and was unable to find the antidote, apparently leaving Harlan only minutes to live. Wanting to save Marta's family from scrutiny, her mother being an undocumented immigrant, Harlan gave her instructions to create a false alibi and then slit his own throat. Harlan's elderly mother saw Marta carrying out his instructions, but mistook her for ransom. Marta cannot lie without vomiting, so she gives true but incomplete answers when questioned. She agrees to assist Blanc's investigation, but reveals evidence, sorry, and then <clears throat> she agrees to assist in Benoit Blanc's investigation, and she confuses. Can... <laughs> Go ahead, keep just kicking. She agrees to assist in Blanc's investigation, and she conceals evidence of her actions as they search the property. When Harlan's will is read, to everyone's shock, Marta is the sole beneficiary. Ransom helps her escape the family's wrath, but he manipulates her into confessing to him. He offers his help in exchange for a share of the inheritance. The other thrombies try to persuade Marta to renounce the inheritance. Walt threatens to expose her mother's immigration status. 
Marta receives a blackmail note with a partial photocopy of Harlan's toxicology report. She and Ransom drive to the medical examiner's office, but it has burned down. Marta receives an email proposing a rendezvous with the blackmailer. Blanc and the police spot them, and after a brief car chase, Ransom is arrested. Blanc explains that Harlan's mother saw Ransom climbing down from Harlan's room the night he died. At the rendezvous, Marta finds Fran drugged. She performs CPR and calls an ambulance. She confesses to Blanc, though Ransom is always in, already informed on her, and she decides to tell the family that she caused Harlan's death, which would uh, invalidate the will under the Slayer rule. Back at the mansion, Marta finds a copy of the full toxicology report in Fran's cannabis stash. She gives it to Blanc without reading it herself. Reading it, Blanc sees it showed little morphine in Harlan's system and interrupts Marta before she can confess. Blanc reveals his deductions to the, to the detectives, Marta and Ransom. After Ransom warned Harlan was leaving everything to Marta, he swapped the contents of Harlan's medication vials and stole the antidote so that Marta would kill Harlan and thus become ineligible to claim the inheritance. But Marta actually gave Harlan the correct medication, subconsciously recognized it by his viscosity, and she only thought she had poisoned him after reading the label. When the death was reported as a suicide, Ransom anonymously hired Blanc to expose Marta. Fran saw Ransom tampering with the crime scene and sent him the blackmail note. After he realized Marta was not responsible for Harlan's death, but Marta still thought she was, he forwarded the note to Marta and burned down the medical examiner's office to destroy evidence of her innocence. He overdosed Fran with morphine, intending for Marta to get caught with Fran's corpse. After a call from the hospital, Marta tells Ransom that Fran apparently survived and will implicate him, causing Ransom to angrily confess to tricking her into killing Harlan. Just then, Marta vomits on him. Fran is dead. Realizing he's been caught as Wagner was recording the conversation, he attacks her with a knife from Harlan's collection, which turns out to be a retractable stage knife. With Ransom's murder confession recorded and having witnessed his attempted murder of Marta, the police arrest him. Linda finds a note from Harlan about her husband's adultery. Blanc tells Marta he suspected early on she, was, she played a part in Harlan's death, noting a small spot of blood on her shoe. As Ransom is taken into custody, Marta watches from the balcony of her mansion with the rest of the family gathered below. So this movie stars Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, Chris Evans as Hugh Ransom Drysdale, <laughs> uh, Anna de Armas as Marta Cabrera, We've got Janie, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as Linda Drysdale, Harlan's eldest daughter. Uh, Michael Shannon as Walt Swat, Trombley. Walt Trombley. Uh, Rick Don Johnson from Miami Vice as Richard Trom uh, Richard uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, husband. Right. Tony uh, Collette, Collette as, as uh, Joni yeah, as the as the lifestyle guru, and then and I can't remember. I think we just named the entire cast. I don't remember the kids, name, the two kids' names there. Oh, I, well, I don't think that they had really too much of a um, of a past history. The only other ones of note um, that I think needed to be mentioned were oh, Chris Christopher Plummer. Plummer. Christopher Plummer as the as the Harlan as Harlan Trombley himself, and Frank Oz <laughs> as the as the lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he was. And then uh, Lakeith Stanfield as the assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Who's getting yeah, a lot of acclaim. A who's getting a lot of claim these days. And I was just going to say, like, I believe this was Christopher Plummer's final role or maybe penultimate role. Or it was the final movie that was released while he was of his that while he was still alive. Oh, I think that could possibly true. I don't remember what the other the other movie is. 
Hang on, I've got. Uh... I mean, it was definitely the last movie I saw of his while he was still alive. Right. He... Well, he's he's got. I mean, he's got so many movies that he did over his career. I mean, uh, the the filmography is is starts in 1958 and ends just 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 recently um but there was knives out the last full measure and heroes of the golden mask were the uh-huh. last movies he did but that was a an animated movie so probably he must have done that a little bit uh beforehand mm-hmm. um he tends to he tend just like in this movie he tends he was he's always been he's typecasted to play a family patriarch because he did that in sound of music which right. i had to which I had to remind my dad, I was like, you know, that's the guy from Sound of Music. He he was a sim. So actually, Knives Out reunites Christopher Plummer, Plummer and Daniel Craig together because uh, he also played a family patriarch in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yes, they were in that movie together. That's right. That's right. And in that movie, he hi- he himself hires uh, Daniel Craig's uh, Mikhail Boomkust. And then he also played a family patriarch in All the Money in the World. That That's the movie about the... Uh, the the oil tycoon who had his you know grandson uh, kidnapped the Getty the Getty the the Getty family the Getty family and then uh, it was a role in which Kevin Spacey had played but then they scrambled the movie to you know recast Christopher Plummer you know out of bad publicity at the time. I thought you were talking about uh, the world is not enough there for a second. <laughs> oh, it was a close, oil close, tycoon's daughter getting kidnapped. <laughs> I'm close enough. Close enough. Close, and in both cases, uh, the ransom was not paid. So yeah, pr- yeah, close there enough. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, so both- overall, what did you what did you think of the movie? Because this was one of the, the the first movies that I kind of saw with Daniel Craig after No Time to Die. I've seen other movies with him in it, kind of in mm-hmm. between him doing other stuff. But this was kind of like the first post No Time to Die. Well, I mean, I saw it after I saw No Time to Die, so for me it's weird. But what did you think overall of 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 Knives Out? Oh, I absolutely enjoyed it at the time in theaters, and I thought it was an extreme. Mind you, this is 2019, so pre-COVID, but pre-COVID, but still a very uh, politically divisive time in America at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought this movie really captured, uh, like, kind of like the the divisive nature of American family feuds, especially during Thanksgiving. I mean, granted, like, I don't have much family in America, so I never had the huge Thanksgivings, but I always hear stereotypes about, like, oh, like, when I don't want to go to people saying, like, when they go to family Thanksgiving dinners, like, there will be just complete, after they eat the turkey, people just go ramble about politics left and right, and I'm not saying, and then, and I thought this movie uh, characterized each character really well, and it really showed why Harlan, who's Christopher Plummer's character really hate, not hated, but he really didn't want to pass down his inheritance to any of them. And that seems to be a common theme across a lot of American TV shows or movies. Uh, Succession, HBO's Succession, played, mm-hmm. uh, starring Brian Cox is one of them in which he's unwilling to pass down his uh, business empire, just like Har- Harlan Trump with himself. Uh, he's he's just reluctant to pass it down to any of his dipshit dipshit children in that, in that. <laughs> it, it then, is kind of a recurring theme in a lot of um in a lot of drama and a lot of, of things like that that they're kind of like the, the the line of ascension and all that uh are they worthy and and when it comes to like an american family and not royalty because i mean we're both fans yeah. of the crown so we're into that but i mean in terms of like american tycoon families um yeah 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 yeah. it's 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 a it's a, it's a good reflection of that one of the things i do, did like about the movie as well is they don't 
overdevelop the relationship of all the children or the characters. There's just enough of their personality and just enough of the backstory. Oh, so yeah. we get a good idea of why they're being cut out. I mean, as Benoit Blanc describes that they're a bunch of pack of vultures at a feast is what they were. And we see uh, what I what I kind of enjoyed about the beginning of the movie is they they kind of start the process of uh, of the interrogation and everyone's telling the story and that's it's it's kind of a recurring way of of you know having four or five people tell the same story that we've kind of seen this kind of filmmaking in the past but then you've got Daniel Craig sitting in the back at the piano just out of focus but just enough that we know he's there and then hitting the piano key to kind of get everyone's attention and then they kind of change track to, to, to change the questioning before he actually like, what was it? 10, almost 15 minutes in before he actually starts himself into the line of questioning. I thought that was kind of a different way of presenting the, the, the film. Oh yeah. And absolutely. And then uh, I wanted to go through some, you know, the family members were, cause as Daniel Craig says, he, he says, I rule out. no. I have not ruled out a single suspect and I suspect foul play as, as mm. he says. And then, so I thought this was ironic. So, you know, as we go through Walt, the characters, Walt is played by Michael Shannon and he wanted, he was in charge of like, I guess the cop, the, the intellectual property of Harlan's novels, but then uh, he didn't want to sell them to Netflix. He, he right. said he and then, which I find completely ironic, because like because of the pandemic and the way we consume media, uh, Nef- Ryan Johnson accepted a four hundred fifty million dollar contract to make two movies, two Knives Out movies for, for Netflix. One of which is coming out soon. Ranson is angry because he Ranson, played by Chris Evans, is angry because like uh, he knew the contents of the will. Don Johnson, play Don Johnson's character Richard, he. Uh, he uh, he uh, he is angry with Harlan because he was about to expose his adultery to his wife Jamie Lee Curtis and Tony Collette or Tony Collette's character Joni had been uh, double billing and stealing money from Harlan himself and he was going to cut her off and as a result that that provided some uh, you know like uh, malintent from her you know something to gain as well and then finally we're left with Marta's character Anna. And I quickly ran down through the what is through the characters and their backgrounds because I mean I wanted to ask you like as we were introduced to the characters who did you suspect or did you suspect any of them? In the beginning, it was kind of hard to say, but I would have said right off the bat that I kind of had an I it was it was kind of between Walt and Richard for me to be honest. Okay. I think Richard kind of was the one that had the most reason to he seemed like manipulative and he seemed kind of like he was trying to weave his way into controlling the family anyway by the way he was kind of talking um it was kind of the only one really out of all of them that i kind of suspected but then the kind of evasive nature of of ransom i kind of got the idea that maybe he was involved somehow not in the way that he was eventually kind of weeded out as mm-hmm. as the person was at it but he had something to do with it mm-hmm. uh but my main focus was was on on walt because he kind of was the one who had the most to lose obviously oh yeah and then no i, I bring that up because like as i was as uh, as we were introduced to the characters ransom chris evans character ransom was 
was the last on my mind. He just seemed like an angry child instead of a, someone mm-hmm. with like true malintent, which we'll get to later. I initially thought I was focused like you, um, Don Johnson's character, Richard, because because he had something to lose as, and he was very manipulative. But the person I was very focused on was Joni, Tony Collect's character, Joni, because uh, she mm-hmm. was stealing from him and and then she was going to and then he Harlan found out and he, he was going to cut her off. And the reason why I related to her the most is because uh, I'm I'm going to say this in the most like PG terms as possible. So when I was in high school, one of my family dentists that we used to attend was murdered pretty gruesomely in his office at, at after hours. And then the case didn't get solved until four years later. Jesus. And that, I mean, it was a pretty sad story and it's all over Baltimore Sun or if you Google it, you could find find the articles. Uh, and the dentist was a good man, but then he also had some, I mean, he had, you know, he, so initially we thought uh, it was because uh, he got remarried, uh, this, the dentist we attended, he got remarried. And so okay. most, so most people thought it was the, his new wife's former husband or someone related to that. Cause like that right. was the only, that was the only person who ha- would have s- some motive or complete anger towards this man. Right. Cause like, right. Cause the crime was very gruesome. And then four years later, uh, you know, they hire like, you know, the cold case detectives, someone like a Benoit Blanc. I mean, someone like a Benoit Blanc, like worked on this cold case for four years. And eventually uh, what happened was, uh, so the dentist, his, you know, like secretary or, you know, like dental assistant, like the person who files all the, who take care, takes care of all the billing. He was, she was siphoning money from his dental business. Like, so she was, you know, so whenever patients would pay their medical bills with their insurance company, she would cash all the insurance checks and for her own gain. And then eventually, uh, and then eventually the dentist was apparently double double billing and all lot all his patients were complaining hey why why are we getting double billed our insurance covered and then he was noticed and he noticed that it was a complete pattern and eventually he hired like you know like assistants to like you know other people you know third parties to, like investigate what's been going on or why uh and then the his assistant found out that it was kind of like worried that he uh she was going to get caught so she hired like thugs to murder him. Nice, Jesus. That's like I said, nice, but I meant like yeah. That's that's kind of really insane. <laughs> and uh, and then the reason, and then the reason, and the two evidence pieces, the two key evidence pieces that got caught were, or three was one, her bank statements. Two, uh, she said she wasn't anywhere near the scene, or she said she uh, at the day of the murder she just left to pick up her child, but then they were. Baltimore police was able to track the the cell phone signals of her phone that day. And then it was right at the dentist office. And third was um, they were able, the cold case detectives found pieces of her and the killer's DNA on a toothbrush in the dentist office. From all the pieces (laughs) on a, on a, on a bristle, on a, on a bristle of a dentist office. So that's insane. I mean, uh, so I wanted to like summarize that very quickly. And so that's why my attention was focused to Joni, Tony Collette's character. But 
as the movie progressed, I was like, there's no way she could have planned this at all because she was just so like out there as a person. She she didn't seem like she was smart enough to put it together. But at the same time, she was the one who was the most um, kind of on the outside because she was the ex or she was the wife or the widow of the, the, uh, uh, the, of, the son. Yeah, so oh, she oh, was the one that was kind of like the one she was lo- she would lose out she would lose everything if he passed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, like I I didn't I I kind of thought maybe she could have been involved. It could have been like a conspiracy between two people at the same time. Um, it was it's, it's a good movie though. It was it's, I mean it was the the way that it's presented. I mean, halfway through the movie, we kind of know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. We know exactly, or we think we know exactly what happened. We kind of see the the, the the we see the the events in themselves act out. He overdoses. She he plans everything else. Uh, Anna does all, or Marta does all the the actions that she he requested, and we assume that he's died as as he's made it a suicide, but he was going to die anyway of a morphine overdose. We don't mm-hmm. know until the very end, and it's. I don't want to say it's predictable, but you kind of like at the very, very, very end when we've got the she gets the the ransom note with the the medical report. I'm like, this this someone switched the labels or something fishy there, and there's someone else involved. And I never, never thought that um, ransom was the one who who had done all that and he had done all the stuff behind. I I honestly thought that that's what it was, and and that it was really, he died of an overdose and that was it. And they were just going to kind of go through everything and it would just be like a, a comedy of, of eliminating everyone before he figures it all out. So then adding that little twist of, Oh no, Chris Evans was actually, or ransom was actually heavily involved in the whole thing. Kind of was like, Oh, okay. This makes it a lot more interesting. Yeah. And, and then I really enjoyed the, Final, like, I guess the final 15 minutes when Daniel Craig finally discovers, or Benoit Blanc finally discovers the full plot of it all. As he said, it's a we're at a hole at a donut's hole inside another donut's hole, which is <laughs> which is not a hole at all, but another smaller donut in itself. That was uh, there's some there's some good lines in there. I mean, the 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 one issue that I have with the movie though, and this is I've heard Daniel Craig do many many an accent but the accent that he does in this movie bothers me like oh, it was K- oh, the kentucky draw yeah it was kind of like it was it, it was almost a kentucky draw but it was also kind of like something else too like there wasn't defined enough where you could say okay that's a southern accent from such and such a place it was kind of like a mishmash of of different accents oh that, yeah bothered me but when they called him fought when they made the foghorn leghorn comment i'm like he <laughs> does sound like foghorn leghorn yeah that is true and that's what bothered me i mean we're recording this just after the uh, the belvedere um commercial came out that, yeah. and that to me daniel craig is super like it's 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 super well filmed it's really greatly edited everything is the cinematography the cinematography in the in the ad is is perfect taika waititi is 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 such a great director but Daniel Craig just comes off to me it's it's so cringy it's so awkward if it was another actor it would be different but for whatever I, reason it bothers me so much that it's Daniel Craig I that uh, Belvedere uh ad he, he reminds me of like a 
of a gay fashion designer is what he reminds me of. Yeah, but like not at the same time. Like if it was, we and we were discussing this in the chat too. Like if it had been Jeff Goldblum or Christopher Walken, you wouldn't have had it. Like Christopher Walken, I'm trying to think of the Fat Boy Slim video that he was in. Like he dances through the whole thing, and I mean he was a ballerina, but mm-hmm. or anyway, but he, he's he's he was a dancer anyway. Like he had that background. Daniel Craig just seems so awkward. And it was the same thing for me with the with the accent. It's kind of these little things that it it didn't bother me enough because his performance was actually good. Like there was actually mm-hmm. it's it, it, you can see his kind of his range in acting is 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 there. Um, it was a really I, I thought that his performance was was really good in that respect. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then I I think uh, I've heard this a lot is and I could definitely see it here is because unlike Bond. Benoit Blanc is he's the first actor to play it if it spawns multiple franchises or whatever but it's a character that he's created from his own right mm-hmm. no so like I and I just attended a few weeks ago the talk with Colbert between Colbert and Daniel Craig and Daniel Craig was asked what is your favorite movie character you've ever played and he straight out just said Benoit Blanc I mean granted the film festival is promoting Glass Onion at the same time but I wasn't too surprised he didn't say James Bond over Benoit Blanc because it is a character of his own thing. On, but whereas Edgar said Bond is a character that five other actors have played as well too. Well, it's I mean at the same time it's like he put his spin on Bond, but Benoit Blanc was really his own. Like he was, Sean Connery will always be the protoform of Bond because he was the first one to play it on screen. He he made it what it was, and everyone tried to kind of copy their spin on on Sean Connery he's he's really taken a character and he's he's made it his own i've 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 just watched some of the trailers for the next one and and i just i find it's like even if even regardless of the accent just like what it's presenting and what the story is going to present itself as and um kind of the action and the kind of the 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 interactions that we can expect from it uh i think it works really well if he hadn't done bond and we were taking him just completely out of context and you hadn't seen any bond moving you're just watching knives out it's perfect oh yeah i, I could see that yeah and then uh because i mean i've said this to a lot of my friends as a i don't think i mean i love daniel obviously i'm very biased towards daniel craig as an actor but i don't really think he's ever been great at accents like other or other accents because like when i saw him in Macbeth, there were times when he tried to do a scottish accent but he just put on his northern english yorkshire accent instead and i was i mean that accent's fine but you know like it's not a scottish accent when he tra- which you could tell he was trying to you know tr- attempt that and uh, he i guess uh, i like his kentucky draw benoit blanc accent better than his southern west virginia joe bat accent and logan lucky where he plays joe bat yeah that was a little off uh, but I mean, like he's got he's got a difficulty with with accents. I, you take someone like Colin Farrell, and Colin Farrell, you can go from like the deep deep Irish to like more British to completely American, and like no trace of accent. And even like Nicole Kidman and and Mel Gibson, Australian actors, all of a sudden are completely Americanized for whatever I've, reason. They've got it super easy. Apparently, Australian accent is the easiest accent to lose. So that's why apparently. That's why those Australian actors tend to, you know, adapt accents really well. Is what I've heard. Yeah, well, they've I'm all not lost them. I mean, even George Lazenby has. Oh, in, George... in, in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, there's no trace of an accent in there whatsoever to oh, our yeah. ears. 
No, no, no. And then uh, I remember uh, at the time, I mean, just to, like continue, like how much I admire this movie is. Uh, I guess I had I did have one complaint about this movie is because uh, Daniel Craig does make a lot of input on his, uh, you know, costumes that he wears. And I'm not sure how, who the costume designer was, but not in every scene, but there were several scenes in which he his character, Benoit Blanc, is wearing a suspender with the pants with belt with a belt on it. Yeah. And that's, then I, that's a no. <laughs> it's the same Albert Thurston braces that he wears from, you know, the James Bond movies, but I mean, different colors. But then it reminded me of that Henry, Henry, Peter Fonda's line in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West is, how can I trust you if I can't trust, how, how can I trust you if you can't even trust your own pants? And he was pointing <laughs> at a guy, he was pointing at a man who was wearing suspenders with his, with a belt on. Well, I mean, it's 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 kind of a. I mean, all of our our Satorial fans are gonna say, yeah, no, it's a definite no no. Uh, that that didn't bother me as as much. I mean, it's it is it is definitely no. I think if we're, we we want to talk about like his his clothing and his outfit choices, I think the next movie we probably got some more opinions just based <laughs> on on the trailer. There's some wild choices there. I think he he got carte blanche to to choose some different outfits there. I mean, I think uh, it's also kind of plays into the character because the, the character is a little bit more, I guess, not flamboyant. Is flamboyant the right word? Or in the, I think more in the second movie, in the trailer, we see there's a little bit more flamboyance with the way he, way he dresses. But at the same time, like, it's, it's, it's more like Southern gentleman from, like, years ago. Like, not yeah. current, but, like, of a certain time. Uh, yeah, I could see that. And then I remember after this movie came out, uh, I did buy the exact uh what is exact herringbone car coat that he wears from brooks brothers mm. and then there's, there's some good looks there's some good looks in there there's there is i mean there is some some good style on his side yes i mean that's a that's a pretty easy very versatile jacket and i mean though it's been really warm here in michigan this fall and when in coming winter but every winter prior to this year i've worn it like pretty nonstop because it's a very easy wear and keeps me warm what did you think of uh, Detective Lieutenant Elliot, played by Lucky Stanfield, and his uh, his partner Trooper Wagner? I think they had a had a pretty good dynamic as kind of supporting uh, characters. Oh, I did too. Uh, I didn't. I thought I, mean, I like I like both characters, but uh, I found Trooper Wagner a little bit, I guess, like less memorable because I can't really think of words to describe him. I mean, I thought he was good, and I liked the way he like was the quote-unquote the trooper with the physical presence whereas Keith Stanfield like yeah he I mean he's an actor that I'm I've been really beginning to admire a lot lately and many of the works that he's done so and and I thought like I really loved the love the end when he's like oh she when uh when uh when they reveal that the the housekeeper died and Anadar Armas throws up and he's like, oh shit, he, she threw up, she's lying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but was that, that was, uh, that was an interesting kind of character trait that they gave her as well. I mean, I, I honestly, I thought that she was going to be found out when she threw up in the car, when she gets in the car, when, when they stop, uh, when the police stop her and, and ransom. Yeah. And, uh, she throws up in the, in the cup and then puts it back in the cup holder and then she leaves, um, 
to he's Benoit Blanc alone the car to go to go meet the the blackmailer. I was for sure. I'm like he's gonna open that cup. He's gonna smell it. He's gonna open it. He's gonna look inside. Uh, it's, gonna, it's gonna be like this dark comedy thing where this is what are you lying about kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then they kind of like completely wash over it. I'm like okay, well I guess not. Oh yeah, and then uh, and do I guess. Anyways, while we're on that topic, of, do we want to move on to the ultimate culprit, uh, ransom played by uh, Chris Evans? Eat shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like Chris Evans, I think that in his almost his non-serious roles are always are a little bit better than his actual serious roles. Because I mean, he plays. I mean, he played obviously uh, Captain America for for a very long time, very well. But all the movies that I've seen him in where he's in a less serious role, I find so much that he does a such better job and he's more suited for um, kind of like the the not funny, funny guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he used to play before Captain America, like whether it was cellular, was a cellular in 2005 or mm. Fantastic Four, whatever, like. Oh, yeah. If I, he always played like like some such like dipshit goofballs, and then now he's like, and then I think, and this is uh, what I want, what I noticed about both Daniel Craig and Chris Evans is because they both played two very iconic roles in the past decade, and right. I think both really relished this movie and their roles and their respective roles because uh, they were finally able to break out of their typecast that they've kind of like the audience have always placed on them. Right, and be a little more open, a little bit more um have a lot more Yeah, have, have more fun. Yeah, have more fun and freedom and it really and I think this was a, this is the movie that was gonna, you know, propel them to like pursue other roles that are not their iconic roles. Right, but I'm thinking of him in like uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh, oh, God. That, that was that was I thought that was a great performance. And he's like he's serious and he's in character and he's focused. And in this movie is the same thing. He's he's serious. He's in character. He's focused, but he's also a bit of like a dipshit. He can play it a little bit loose. He can play a little bit cool. Uh, he doesn't have to be like he's not Captain America. He's and he was he was both likable and hateable at the same time because i really like the scene where where when the will was read and the family was going after martha played by yeah. Arthur Armis and and he helps her escape from the family and i was like wow i was like so so when that scene happened i was like oh that that guy's cool um he's not gonna be the bad guy and then obviously as the movie unravels and unravels up uh, at the end uh we find out he was a real culprit do you want do, you want, do we want to go behind the the unraveling of his plan or how, what his intention yeah. was? Well, I mean, his intention was was he knew that she was going to get the inheritance, and his intention was to block her from that and to to ultimately have the the Slayer rule applied, which is you can't inherit if you're the one who killed the person who was giving you the inheritance. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what he so he to I mean, it's, I know I only just watched this movie pretty recently, but. So he switched up the morphine and the, what was the second drug? It was, um, the oh keta, God. the ketacol, keta, keta something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I can't remember what it was exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you want to like go into like, yeah, well he, he switches them up thinking that she was going to make the mistake and she was going to, you know, purposely overdose them with morphine and then, 
but at the same time, like he also didn't know that she was gonna commit. He was gonna fake the suicide. So I guess when that's that's when he figured out that if he hires the if he hires a private investigator, then it'll go better than with the police. Mm-hmm. Because if not, then it would just be ruled a suicide, and we'll never really know about the morphine overdose, and they can't pin it on her. And then so then he goes and hires Benoit Blanc to make sure that she gets found out. But she was so good at her job as a nurse that she went by feel and was able to to give him the right dosage with the right medication, and he didn't overdose. So it was a suicide. Mm-hmm. And she, he also took away the the emergency medicine from her back. Yeah, yeah she, exactly. In the, in, the, in the case that uh, she found out that she presumed that it was uh, he he overdosed or whatnot. So. And I I kind of wonder though at the same time, what would have actually happened if the talks report had come back as it had it played out the way that Ransom wanted to. And had the toxicology report come back as saying that she she he did overdose on morphine and then killed himself and then she was responsible, how would that play out in a court of law? You know, would she still be responsible for manslaughter? I guess in this case, that's what I was I was thinking about that too because like like you said, uh, if 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 the police were involved, they would have automatically ruled it a suicide based on the you know the the motion and i mean yeah. eventually it was but then i mean i'm just thinking about mike now that you mentioned it that like that uh whatever even happened i don't even know whatever happened to michael jackson's doctor because uh he he has been you know yeah he because he got over because technically he overdosed on the the pain meds or sleeping meds or whatever it was at the time right i think he, he went to jail but for other reasons i think they got him on civil charges rather than criminal charges. I don't think they were able to to charge him that way. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a whole you go on Wikipedia, you go fall yeah. down a rabbit hole in that. Uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but it's it's kind of the same the same thing. Like if he hadn't if she if he hadn't overdosed on the morphine, he wouldn't have killed himself. But if he he killed himself because he thought he overdosed on the morphine. So in a court of law, if they had sat her down in front of everyone and said, well, you gave him the, the, the morphine, you couldn't save him and he killed himself, but you didn't give him the morphine. Is she still responsible in some way for his death? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I'm not a law. I'm not a lawyer. So I wish yeah. if there's any lawyers in the James Bond community or <laughs> listeners. Up, feel free to comment or message us. I'm pretty sure this would have not been as easily resolved as it was in the movie. And even the resolution of the movie with the private investigator. I mean, I think the they kind of played the cops as as dumb a little bit because they were kind of like they were they were already over it. They're like, it's a suicide. We don't want to touch it anymore. We're done. But mm-hmm. we're going to kind of entertain this mysterious man who came out of nowhere and investigate this. And then, oh, well, I guess we are changing our minds. And like like the way uh, Ryan Johnson set up this story up, uh, a donut hole within a donut hole because i really enjoyed uh the murder on the orient express the the one diversion from 1975 with sean connery in it and hercule perot's character goes down each character each character and eventually and goes through everybody's background and what their possible motives could have been and then you know tries to eliminate the the suspect eventually he wasn't able to eliminate the suspect because everyone was involved in that 
on the complete contrary of now is that everybody was involved on the unlike here it was right. just one person but I, I still think it was it was kind of um, a unique way of doing it because we kind of we know what happened and then we're kind of expecting it's like well where's the rest of this movie going like are they gonna pin it all on out of the armis is this is she gonna is, is there whether where's the turn of this movie like halfway through we know okay well he committed suicide he thought he he was gonna die anyway of the morphine overdose they, they covered it all up she was gonna get away with it so we're kind of expecting her throughout three quarters of the movie for her to get away with it then we get this kind of like spin well he didn't he wouldn't have died yeah and then everything turns on its head, which I, I think it was it was a great way of presenting it. It's, it's different than any other kind of murder mystery that that you would see. And then it has that dark comedy aspect of it as well with the, you know, her her throwing up when she because she can't lie. And the fact that nobody knows what country she immigrated from. I think that was the kind of that I cool, a funny running gag. They always refer to her as one Latin country or yeah. another. And I think that kind of like summarized like what I was saying about like. American, the device of American politics at the time, because uh, they're like, oh, she, like, there's that one time, one role that when Tony Collette's like, oh, but they're coming from, you know, at the time, you know, like yeah. there, was, there, there was a refugee crisis in America, and she's like, oh, but they're only seeking better lives, and Don Johnson's character is like, oh, but uh, Martha came here the right way, the American way, and, yeah. and, and that, like, this movie really captured all the, like, the divisiveness of politics at the time it really did and they had the, the young kid well they're saying it was the two, two, two of them because one of them one was like a like the alt-right or right-wing troll and then the girl tony collette's daughter was more of the left-wing troll. yeah and i love the line oh when chris evans says hey how's your social uh, sjw social justice warrior uh law degree coming along yeah. <laughs> no, it was like I like the little pot shots and I like the 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 kind of the references to, to to the politics and things like that. It was it was it was and they didn't go overboard with it. Like I mean it was this a little brief discussion that kind of adds to the character without going into their background too much. Like we kinda of know, okay, well we know how he thinks and what his opinions are, we know what her opinions are, so we kind of know that division right there and I mean, we've all had those discussions with with family when we're sitting around the, the if it's Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner over politics. Oh yeah, I mean, luckily I never have, but uh, but that but it does happen for sure. And I mean, I really enjoy. I I think Ryan Johnson is very very brilliant at creating his own thing. And, yeah, but he's not. Because like I like his other films, I had not seen at the time of this recording. I had not seen Brick with Jessica Gordon-Levitt, but I really enjoyed Looper with Jessica Gordon-Levitt, which was the which was not I, the last movie he did before Knives Out. He did unfortunately Star Wars: Last Jedi, and I mean that's that's another rabbit hole in itself. But the point is, uh, I like yeah. him when he's creating his own thing, than like you know joining a franchise like a mega you know, like well-oiled machine franchise and, you know, like kind of playing by their rules. Like when you just let Ryan Johnson be Ryan Johnson, he will deliver the most uh, intriguing story movie that you could possibly think of. And even like Brothers Bloom, which was his second movie that he did in 2008 Mm -hmm. with with none other than Mrs. James Bond or Mrs. Daniel Craig herself, Rachel Weisz. I thought that was was a very fun caper movie that I really enjoyed and very original and, and same with Looper and 
and obviously knives out as well too and he directed a couple episodes of breaking bad um, oh yeah he did i forgot about that yep but i think the, the the thing with the last jedi i mean i think it's 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 kind of one of those things where you just he was a hot director or that they had showed some promise and and they hired him and he did it and especially with the one that he that he he directed being i don't want to say the worst of the most recently most recent trilogies but kind of the one with the least heart it was kind of all over the place but yeah it was that's a discussion of it. I mean, it was definitely the most divisive, but that's another rabbit hole in itself. But but all the things that he's done himself have been, you know, really really great. I mean, he's done some some, and I'm I'm really I I didn't know what to expect going into this one, and now I'm kind of really excited for 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 the next one. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that was kind of like my thing because like I because the trailer itself didn't really reveal that much at all. They just simply said it's a murder mystery on Daniel Craig saying, I suspect foul play. And then, mm-hmm. and then the, and the trailer ends and then, and we're just continually, continuously going down this, uh, uh, layered, layered story by story. And, uh, I remember after this movie came out, I mean, this is some, this movie came out like late Thanksgiving, 2019. So many people watch this during 2020. The unfortunate year of 2020, of course, too. And <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, we had nothing better to do. And what I really enjoyed was that on all the night, because again, I go on forums all the time and on Reddit, on Knives Out Reddit, none of the Reddit forms ever spoiled this movie. And I think, and I thought that just brought a lot of, that showed the goodness of humanity because I could tell that people really wanted other people to enjoy this movie instead of like, just spoil the movie for them. Right, exactly. And the next one is also um, pretty star-studded, and it reunites Daniel Craig with Dave Bautista. Yep, a Spectre reunion. A Spectre reunion for uh, <laughs> for the next one. Um, I think that's um, that's the 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 kind of the summary of everything. I think it's 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 great. It kind of weeds in. The next one completely seems to be separate from what the first one was. I mean, we'll, we'll get to it in when the we next get... year. Mm-hmm. We'll let people uh, have the chance to see it on Netflix because it's going to be one of those Netflix, very limited uh, theatrical run, and then we're getting it on, on Netflix mm-hmm. very uh, very soon after that. I think it's only going to be it's on your uh, six, a month. It's on your... It's on your six-day theatrical release, or at least in America, it's on your six-day theatrical release, and then December. Six days. Yeah, December. So November twenty-third to November twenty-ninth. That's it. So it's on, really. So it's so they purpose they're purposely releasing it on Thanksgiving holidays in America because of course because people know they they know that that's when people are going to go to theaters. There's no point in like keeping it longer than after that, and then it comes on theater or it comes on net to your to a. TV at your couch in your ha- home on Netflix on December 23rd, just in time for the Christmas holidays. And I do know several of the Bond community members had seen it, whether it was at the, I don't know if anyone went to the Toronto Film Festival, but I know someone saw it at the Miami Film Festival. It premiered mm-hmm. at the London Film Festival, at the BFI, and several of the Bond, British and our Celtic Bond community members were there in attendance. I know that yeah, Toronto was. Uh, I think it was in uh, in September. I don't know if anyone uh, was able to see it. Maybe uh, maybe uh, a few people had a chance to get out and uh, and check it out. But I'm really I'm kind of excited. I think it's it's going to be a, a great uh, second movie. Um, 
the reviews have been really stellar and and the best way they said uh, one of the best reviews I read was this is a ultra stellar studded mystery that takes place on an on a very uh, on a very beautiful island not owned by a Bond villain. They had to specify. Yeah. <laughs> they had to specify that. They had to specify that reference. I also think it's unique that Netflix is going the route of okay, we're going to release it theatrically, very limited, just to get the most amount of people in a short period of time to see it in theaters and enjoy it in theaters before releasing it to Netflix. And I don't think they've really done that before, where they've had a short theatrical run and then released it to Netflix, being a Netflix-made movie. Like they don't really have. Their, their studio so far hasn't really gone that route. They've bought movies to distribute on Netflix, but to 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 finance it from A to Z for Netflix, but give it a theatrical release at the same time, I think is is pretty unique. And I hope they continue doing stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like actually, uh, to not to like counter what you just said, but uh, I still remember at the time when Knives Out came out, Netflix financed and produced A to Z Irishman. The Scorsese right. four-hour four long movie. And at the time, Netflix proposed to AMC or Cinemark or, or the theater chain in Connecticut, just, you know, Regal, whatever you name it. Hey, can we release this movie for a week before it comes to Netflix? And then all the theater chains unanimously said no because they're going to lose money because they're like a movie, playing a movie that's going to come out on Netflix two weeks. That's going to the, the, the theater is going to lose money. I mean, and now granted, the theaters are probably begging for it. Like, please give me something after the recoup from COVID. Please yeah. give me something to play in my theaters. And now, yeah, now the tables have turned, and all after post-COVID, theaters are like, no, we'll play the movie as long or as long as, as long or as short as you want. And because I remember my friend did see The Irishman in theaters, but he saw it in independent cinema, not like a huge, like a, right. a, a franchise chain. And and I think this, uh, and in the end, because you know the way we consume meat media as a whole globally has changed i mean it was it was changing before COVID, and it's only been expedited because of COVID. and i truly enjoy like this uh, strategy and i will see this movie in cinemas and then see it again on netflix uh i i probably won't get around to see it uh in theaters but i will definitely be watching it on netflix um sorry i i just i'm getting a text and this person's just won't stop texting me um, is it, it is it Monsieur it, Blanc? I was just gonna say it's M Blanc, but I, I don't think it's the same one because he's asking uh, if we have people everywhere. We do have people everywhere. Emery, search for us at the James Bond Complex on Facebook, on Twitter, which is Edgar's Baby. You can find listen to our uh, podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and my personal favorite, Spotify and on anchor.fm and when you guys listen to our podcast give us a five-star golden gun review you guys can find us at the james bond complex on instagram where can we find you emery you have uh, multiple platforms i'm only actually on two right now so i'll be on 007 underscore intrepid on instagram uh, and uh 007 intrepid on facebook as well just a little side note um we're all off Twitter right now just because of a few incidents on, on Twitter that, that happened. I don't know how much you're aware of, of, of that. I'll, I'll edit this part out. But uh, yeah, there's the Twitter account for the James Bond complex no longer exists at all.
Oh, okay. All right. And then you guys can find my, you guys can follow me at JASXON88, where you guys will find, continue to find posts that's related to Fleming film and everything in between. And those, uh, what was it, Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese po'boys that you were having in New Orleans? It, I, have to, uh, I have to comment on that because when I saw the po'boys, I was like, yes. And then I'm like, these Vietnamese ones, I'm like, is that Vietnamese or what, what's, what's the... Because uh, Vietnamese have, Vietnam has po' like subs called bamis and then, mm-hmm. and then uh, I love Louisiana Cajun food, shout out to Mel. But then, so it combined two fusions as one. So, like, it, you could choose like the Vietnamese style meat or you know Southern American style meat, and it was just so good. And then, and the but all of them had the Vietnamese vegetables, cilantro, and the mm. and whatnot. So that's what made it the hybrid. Oh, it looks so delicious. It made me so hungry. I, I can't. You can't get good Cajun food in Quebec City. I'm sorry. If if if, if there's good Cajun food in Quebec City, it's because I made it. Like there's no Cajun restaurants here, and as every time I see Cajun food, I'm like, oh man. And unfortunately, Daniel Craig will not return as James Bond, but Benoit Blanc will return. Just as Benoit Blanc will return, so too will the James Bond complex, and so and hopefully, Bond twenty James Bond will return in bond 26 in a in a near future near us hopefully hopefully thank you very much everyone bonsoir uh 들어줘서 감사합니다 안녕히 계세요 arigato matane oh this is a great